thank you everyone class for attending today's lecture and of course being part of the lakers fast break podcast it is dean gerald glassford coming right back at you here thanks so much for watching and listening and being part of today's class and symposium on rivalries we're going to touch on some rivalries in this particular course and we thought since tomorrow's game is so important to the Lakers that we would go ahead and touch on one of the most underrated and under respected and just basically overlooked rivalries that are out there and that is the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Phoenix Suns and we're hoping that you as a part of our class here today will go ahead and appreciate everything that we're saying but first off i wanted to go ahead and thank everyone again for being part of today's class it is the lakers fast break podcast please go ahead and like and subscribe class while you're here so you can get the latest notifications on when we go live on the air with the latest classes for lakers history 101 of course do you know your lakers trivia nba observations magic man in the morning and so much more, of course, our world-famous post-games as well. So please go ahead and be part of all the fun today by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. But again, it is Lakers History 101. We return to the halls of Lakers Fast Break University to discuss rivalries. And this is something we will touch on as far as extra credit courses from time to time. And the first one we wanted to go ahead and touch on today was the Lakers and Suns rivalry. Yes, there is a rivalry of sorts between the Lakers and Suns because they've had some great matchups over the years. And that's what we'll touch on today because of course what comes tomorrow is a very pivotal and important game for the 2023 Los Angeles Lakers as they host the Phoenix Suns tomorrow. But that's for the post game and that's for tomorrow. But here today to talk about What's going on with the Lakers-Suns rivalry and why you need to know more about the Lakers and Suns. It's a good man indeed. He is an astute and just basically just outstanding and dignified professor here at Lakers Fast Break University. He's a good man indeed. You've got to go ahead and check out when he is drinking some coffee and sharing some great thoughts every Friday morning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. It is the magic man, Professor Sean Grice. And Sean, great to have you here. You suggested rivalries. And I was thinking with the, such a pivotal game tomorrow taking place at the Crypt, I was thinking, okay, instead of just touching on the Lakers versus Celtics, which everybody knows about, the Lakers and the Warriors, the Lakers and, you know, you could even say the Lakers and Blazers at times. Of course, the Lakers and Kings in the early 2000s, obviously touch on that. But since it's so timely, I think that we should touch on the Lakers and Suns because people often forget in the annals of Lakers history that there were some key games that vaulted the Lakers into key positions in the playoffs, into the finals, because of certain things that were done between this rival between the Lakers and Suns. And that also, unfortunately for Lakers fans, as we know recently with uh, 2021, goes vice versa as well absolutely gerald and well done uh gerald was looking for one of his uh professors to come up with a topic because as we know 
The dean is very busy. And, and we wanted he... extra credit. I wanted to give extra credit yeah. to our class, to all the hardworking students that are out there. Some of them are falling behind. So I wanted to go ahead and give them a hand. You know, just the Lakers Fast Break University tries to go ahead and make sure we have a platform to succeed as Lakers fans, Sean. And really, when it comes right down to it, you got to go ahead and provide not only an outstanding course curriculum, but also every now and then try to give them a hand by giving them opportunities to go ahead and earn some extra credit. And I figured with the rivalries subject that is not often touch upon, we got to go ahead and touch on that because rivalries are so important in sports to fan interest and, of course, overall to what a history of a sports organization is like. Oh, 100%, Gerald. Um, and well done on the, on the Suns rivalry as well. And you're right. It is understated. It is underrated to me. There's so much rich history between those two in the playoffs. If we're going modern day, then you have to go. It starts 1980, right? And, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Some of those Phoenix teams were really good. They just weren't good enough to win a title. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes that happens in sports. There are, there are very good teams who somehow they just never, ever make it to the finals because there's just a team or two that's better than them. You know, the, the, um, in the 80s, the Bucks are a perfect example. The, the East was loaded with the, the exact same three teams that are at the top today. We're at the top, like, between 1980 and 88, and that's the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers. The Bucks would have, like, fantastic regular seasons, but every time they met up with the Sixers, it just felt like they couldn't beat them. Or they would yeah. run, run into the Celtics and they couldn't beat them. Well, it actually all dates back to 1970. Yeah, that's, that's when it, that's when it started. I'm talking more yes. like modern day. Because yes. from, from 70 to now, that's 42 years, they've played in 12 playoff series. That's a lot. That's yes. a lot. That's, that's, that's the most uh, playoff opponent that they've had uh, in the Western Conference. Second only, I believe, to the Spurs. Mm-hmm. They played Phoenix 12 times in the playoffs. They played the Spurs five times. So if we started the beginning there, they had sprite teams. They really did. It was it wasn't really until they they ended up trying to match up at the point guard position because they they had Tom Chambers, they had Mark West. They had a couple nice wings in um, in Dan Marley and Eddie Johnson, but it wasn't really until they got KJ that uh, the rivalry with the Lakers really started to have some teeth because at that point, the Lakers had to take the Suns seriously because that, that was a pretty, pretty good team. Uh, also here today to just start off uh, this class with the extra credit on the rivalry between Phoenix and the Lakers over the course of many years. Good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out today at LakersBall.com. Plus also as well, please go ahead and support his business if you're the Southern California area and you've had your lawn blown away by, what, 100 mile an hour winds I hear near Magic Mountain? So yeah, go ahead and just, you know, your your lawn has been blown away, but you can get a new lawn today from Simblades, SimbladesWithAY.com. And it is Professor Joe Soro. And Professor, great to have you here 
wanted to go ahead and talk about today since there's such a pivotal game tomorrow for the Los Angeles Lakers as far as what their outcome might be because nobody really around them in the Western Conference is helping them out with losses. They've been all been winning since the Lakers last won on Sunday. Your thoughts on the Lakers-Suns rivalry? It actually originally dates back to 1970, but 10 years later, really you could say the Lakers-Suns rivalry started in 1980, like Magic Man was saying, with a really good second-round matchup that happened right there for you in 1980. Actually, in the yeah. conference semifinals. Yeah, the second round, per se. Yeah, my memory, my memory really started with Phoenix in... 1993 why why the significance of that year the phoenix suns had the best record that year in the league and charles barkley won the mvp the lakers and this goes back to what we've discussed about the 90s lakers again the 90s lakers despite their lack of superstar talent they were dogs they played their rear ends off and they scared a lot of people. And they were close. I can go into the details of game four, but we'll probably be here for a couple hours, so I'll keep it brief. But the Lakers went up 2-0 against Phoenix in that series and ended up losing the last three. And that was the beginning, at least for me, of the Phoenix-Lakers playoff rivalry. And I say rivalry because Phoenix has been I know San Antonio has a has a spot there too but really the Lakers were mowing the Spurs down up until 1999 I'm sorry 1995 before then but with with Phoenix it just seemed like it started it started in 1990 uh, Pat Riley's last season uh, it was the back half of Magic's MVP back to back year well, and the they got... thing was in 1990, that's the first year that Phoenix was really a challenge for them because the 80s, they just completely obliterated them in the playoffs. They were a challenge, but I don't know. I don't know if they were scary. No. Yeah. There were several sweeps in the 80s. I, I, I don't know what it was about Phoenix. Phoenix has been the only team in my, my eyes or my, in terms of my feeling as far as the, the, the that particular team, where I don't know what it is about them, but they have our, our number in the playoffs uh, when we're kind of in a transitionary period. But that wasn't actually a transitionary period. At least I know it was eventually, but at the time we didn't know that. We should have won that series and faced Portland in the Western Conference Finals. But, um, but that was the beginning of the Phoenix kind of laying it to, to the Lakers. You had 1990. You had 1993. Uh, the Lakers got a little bit of revenge in 2000, and then 2006 and 2007 were 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 again going side. It was Kobe who kind of sort of broke that finally in 2010. Uh, Phoenix was playing the Lakers really good. We up, we went up 2-0, and then they tied it, and then you all know what happened in Game Five. Uh, with Ron Artest's uh, airball putback, and then Kobe ripped the entire city of Phoenix. Well, let's describe. Let's let's go ahead and talk about that because Ron Artest, you know, this is what really one of the first times that he really 
stood out with a, a Lakers performance. Obviously, we know what he did in the playoffs, that, that crucial shot that he hit, that everybody was so surprised about him hitting that three. But talk to us a little bit more about how that Phoenix series and how he was played such a key role with that, that awesome I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not picking just Phoenix and especially the finals. Ron Artest in 2010, uh, pretty much in my, in my view, helped the Lakers win a title. If he's not there, especially in the finals, I do not believe the Lakers win at all. Kobe was on his last leg. And when I, I'm not, I'm, I'm meaning that in a lot of ways, not literal, cause that's not, that doesn't make sense. But in the way we speak today, literal would make sense because his knee, the following year was basically bone on bone. And that was kind of the beginning. Plus his, his shooting finger was jacked. So for those who don't really pay attention to stuff, which is pretty much most of you out there that aren't Laker fans or, you know, people that actually, again, pay attention to stuff, Kobe's shooting percentage w- he was trying to make shots with a mangled hand. So let's just leave that at that. Now, with that, Ron Artest, was, uh, his coming out party was that, at least to the public, was that air ball put back. Because you had three guys on Kobe on that shot, right? He was there, picked it right out of the air, put it in. And he had made a boneheaded play uh, not long before then. And and Phil Jackson, I, 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 I'll never forget the visual on this. Phil Jackson used to do this thing where he put his fingers together and put it in between his legs and kind of sit like this. He'd clench. He'd clench yeah, he'd up. Clench. I think a lot of it was because when you're sitting down for too long and he has a bad back, you kind of try to figure out a way to break out of that kind of stiffness, right? I'm just taking a guess on that. So he said, <laughs> why I love Phil Jackson. So Phil's sitting there, and I'm going to guess this time, though, he was more holding himself from blowing up. So he kind of does one of these, and he go, and, and all you do is see him just kind of put his head like this to Ron, right? Because you know Ron Artest at the time was still a, you didn't he was an uncontrolled pit bull, in a lot of a semi-controlled pit bull, but not controlled. So Phil's just like, you could tell he's like, what the f was that shot and why? The freaking shot clock was at like eighteen. Why the hell did you shoot it? So. You know, forward, what, five, ten minutes later, he gets that put back in. And, of course, what's the besides the shot going in, the beautiful part about that shot was how high Ron Artest jumped into Kobe's arms. I don't even think Kobe was expecting it. And we were going crazy. I was going crazy. I, I think I lost my voice that night. And, and and you didn't you didn't think you didn't think that could anything could top that. And then uh, the following game in Phoenix, Kobe hits this. It's the most difficult fadeaway I think I've ever seen anybody take. Grant Hill has a hand like right up, like under his nose. It is like literally under his nose. And Kobe turns around, puts this thing in. And as Alvin Gentry starts to signal for a timeout, Kobe just slaps him on the butt. It says, nice shot. All I remember is this from Gentry. <laughs> and a smile. Yeah, he was smirking. He's like, you. Yeah. The, the rivalry is real. They, they've they won five series against the Lakers, more than anyone other than the Celtics. 
So they they are legit. a legitimate rival in the playoffs. Legit. And the Lakers are going to go into tomorrow's game having to have to know that they have to win the remaining games. And tomorrow is a start. You have to win tomorrow. You have to win Friday. You have to win the next 10 games, nine games. That's it. There is no really any more room for error, which why I was pretty harsh on the last show on why I believe they're going to get blown out because they're just not a mentally, they're the, the, they're not mentally strong. They're just, a, they're, they're, you have, they have spurts. Like let's say uh, you have uh, Austin Reeves, who's, squeezing out every piece of talent you can squeeze out of it. So you have to kind of uh, uh, embrace that. Uh, Anthony Davis, uh, I, I, he probably, you guys have probably noticed I haven't been dogging him too much. Well, his defense is still amazing. And his offense might not be there, but sometimes that happens. And the only issue I have with AD at, the point, at this point is just mentally messed up at, at, at the end of games, especially at the free throw line. But that will take a jump a significant positive in that area for him to get out of that funk. I don't know when that'll be. Maybe we'll get lucky tomorrow and let a game winner against them. That would be, that would, that would certainly be interesting if, if that were to happen, but the Lakers are just not from so many angles, uh, you know, focused enough to, to, to be a consistent winner. And uh, the, the, the Phoenix Suns and the history with the Phoenix Suns, they were there on our downtime. They were there in 93. They were there in 06. They were there in 07. Whenever we were down, they were there swooping our rear ends. The team that was probably a little surprising, I think, for most Laker fans was the 2000 Phoenix Suns. Like, some guys are over the hill on that roster. Some guys are very young. You have a young Jason Kidd. You have a young, uh, you have a vet who, Tom Gugliotta, Mark West. Anthony Hardaway, Penny, who's coming off, you know, serious injury. So that team was very interesting, and it was a good test for Shaq because it, he took his game to another uh, another level in that series. I think he averaged something like 35 and, and 15. He was grabbing like 37 and 20 just about every night. But that team was kind of underrated. Gugliotta was a big guy. Mark West is a big guy. Uh, they had a lot of length. Sean Marion was on that team. He could barely get any playing time because he was a rookie. So, yeah, that 2000 Phoenix team is is kind of kind of overlooked by a lot of Lakers fans. But it took six games. It took six games to get rid of them. They were really pesky. Oh, five. Excuse me, Joe. Yeah, five. That was Kobe's coming out party. Uh, game yeah. two. They're down by one. And ISO starts. Jason's kid's on him. He does a little left, a little right, does a little pump fake in the air. Boom, hits the shot. Lakers win. Then they get blown out in game three, and then they mm -hmm. finish him off in four and five. After that series, we started feeling a little bit better as Laker fans because the Sacramento series scared us a little bit. So they won the first series in five. They won that in five. And then they went on to face Portland. And the next four games, they went up 3-1. And I'm like, all right, we got this. We just won two games in Portland. We finished this off in game five in L.A. And we're, you know, who, whatever sacrificial lamb in the East comes out didn't matter because Portland was the only threat that year. Um, and, you know, again, we, we 
you got probably one of the greatest seven game series of in, in all all of NBA history. So at that point, we're okay um, in the end as long as we win. But Phoenix, uh, yeah, Phoenix seems seems to have a little bit of our number usually when we're down. And I would say right now we're in that downtime, and this is what worries me. Every time we've been down against, uh, every time we've been down, we've we've lost to them when they've been up, and that's that's that that that. that I'm just going by the history, guys. That's all I'm doing. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Uh, so you would watch The Tomorrow War before The Matrix? Yes. If you forced me down, you, I was tied into a chair and I had to watch one thing, I would say The Matrix Resurrections. Really? Funny. Yeah, because of all the cutscenes, I could remember what a good movie was like. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Yes, that's the only reason for the flashbacks to, to remind you what a good Matrix movie was. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it's Lakers Fast Break University. It is Lakers History 101. Today we're covering a little bit of extra credit with the rivalry between the Lakers and the Suns. One thing I want to ask you, Professor Magic Man, is, as I mentioned before briefly during the intro, the Lakers dominated the Suns in the 1980s. The Suns actually only, in the entire decade, got three games from the Lakers. That shows yes, you the dominance. And I think they played five series total, if I'm not mistaken. So yes, that yes, is not you. a winning number right there for you. But 1990 came around. The Lakers had won 63 games. Things were looking really good. They were a favorite to go to the NBA Finals. And what happened? They ran straight smack dab into a very motivated Phoenix Suns team who for the first time beat the Lakers in a playoff series. Uh, yeah, Gerald. Um, you know, one thing about the eighty, uh, one thing about the eight, like the mid to late eighties to around that that there until Pat left, is that it just seemed that whenever Cotton Fitzsimmons would would have to coach against Pat Riley, Pat would uh, would just outgun him or outcoach him or outphilosophize him. Cotton Fitzsimmons until 1990 had never won a game at the at the Great Western Forum. He was 0 37, and so <laughs> that's terrible. That's that's awful, right? That's really bad, especially when you look at his, at some of the teams he had. He had and he, he was, was a, a good, good coach. coach. He was, yeah. he was, but for some reason. Um, we just had his number at the, at the Great Western Forum, and, and for whatever reason, he couldn't get Pat out of his head. But yeah, I admit, yeah, Gerald, that game one, they stole it. They stole it, and they took home court advantage away from us. And um, it was pretty much downhill from there. In a it was, it was, because that 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 was when they were feisty too. Like I, I don't, if if people, especially young Laker fans. One of Magic's biggest rivals was a point guard, Kevin Johnson. We call him KJ. Fans call him KJ. KJ was legit. He was a legit 18, 10, 4, 5 guy. But he could get into scoring bursts where he could score 15 straight 
13 straight. And it proved to be uh, a matchup magic like Gerald because he outdueled Kevin Johnson. But at the end, the Suns won that series because Magic just ran out of gas at the end, and 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 KJ was just this young buck ready to to slay the dragon. Absolutely, and we saw it from there. Unfortunately, with uh, Phoenix defeating the Lakers. Uh, it, far as for the rest of the 1990s, there was some minimal action. Again, the the Suns beat the Lakers, but it was actually an under 500 team in 1993, so that really wasn't too much to talk about there. But Joe. You talked about the 2000 series as far as the, the Phoenix Suns getting waxed by the Lakers on the way to a championship, the first of the three-peat. What I want to ask you now is when it gets later in that decade with those teams by the Lakers that in 2006 and 2007 were barely eking out above 500 seasons. They were seven seeds at best, and they were getting killed by the Phoenix Suns Eventually, in the 2007 series, in the first round, 4-1, to one, they lost in the seven games in 2006. But it started to lead where decisions have been made by Kobe. Kobe became increasingly dissatisfied with where the Lakers' direction was simply because of those two straight losses to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it just wasn't – They he, he willed them to a seven-game in that first series. They won some games where – they, they had a couple bounces, and I, I wish that the five-game series hadn't stopped. We would have won that series. Game six was a tough one to swallow because we were one shot away from, from winning the series in six. Problem is Kwame Brown decided that he didn't want to go after a rebound, which for those of you who have a soft heart for Kwame Brown for whatever reason, for those of us who have been harsh on him are harsh on him because of his lack of doing what's what he's supposed to do um, well the fact that he has rock hard hands and couldn't I, catch that 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 was always an issue obviously his mental midgetness was about a problem but more, more than that is his effort a lot of times was not there and that to me was what ultimately angered me about him is he had a very eldon campbell like uh demeanor about him and i and you guys know i don't like people who are lazy I don't like lazy players. If you're going to be out there, if you're going to be a professional, you, you should, and especially with the skill set he had, with the God's the gift from God of, in terms of size and athleticism that he had, it, it be, it's an insult when you have someone like that not pl- playing at full strength, especially at a moment like that. So I don't look at everything as some, you know, should have been, would have been, whatever. Uh, I don't. I don't look at that phase of the Laker dynasty, or middle of the di- the two dynasty. Actually, I shouldn't even call the, the last half a dynasty. It wasn't really a dynasty, but the gap, the gap between the first era and the second era of Kobe. A lot of the reasons why we had that gap was due to the fact that you had two alpha males who couldn't get along, who wanted the top spot still and couldn't figure out that their legacies could be at a level that no one has ever seen but decided to throw it away because of their feelings for each other. So I never felt bad for Kobe during that stint. Uh, and I thought the rear-end whooping by the, by the Suns 
was kind of a punishment to him. I, I blame Kobe just as much as I blame Shaq. Shaq might have a little bit more blame in the end because he didn't keep himself in shape to where, you know, we might have probably won in 03 had he been in shape. He wouldn't have been a six seed. Maybe it would have been a two or three seed. We would have been able to figure something out there and get on, you know, get to the finals again and beat New, New Jersey. But ultimately, I'm, I'm a Lakers fan. I don't give two craps about who's number one on the team. I want to win. I want the team to win. And that little gap, that little butt whipping that he got by Phoenix was, you know, uh, it was a nice little message like, well, this is what you get. And then after that, he got his back in 2010 and watching that series. To me, that was the best Suns team I've seen. Kobe took a lot of heat. And a lot of it is unfair off of game seven because he said that he was trying to get other guys involved. And if you watch that series, in every game the Lakers won, it was somebody except game six, except game six, other than game six, every game except game six, Kobe had help when the Lake when the Lakers won or lost, except for game seven. Then, nobody, course, was nobody, nobody was hitting anything, and Kobe said that that Phoenix had to stretch. Mike D'Antoni was fine with Kobe going off for fifty as long as nobody else got theirs. He was good with that, and he was willing to trade three for twos for the Lakers that whole series, and that was also frustrating, Gerald, because at that point in time, Phoenix had built a team that could beat Kobe. Plus, so he had people said he went AWOL. I don't agree. I think if you watch, if you look back and you watch the game, Phoenix actually does a really good job of trying to take him out of his rhythm. I mean, he goes off for 50 in game six. We we lose. He really he wanted to eliminate them then. He wanted game six really, really badly. Yeah. I don't feel the same way about game seven, but that's not to say that he shouldn't take some heat from it, just not all of it. One of the things, though, I do want to ask Joe and also you, Sean, (laughs) is that with every rivalry, there are main players in this rivalry that for one reason or another, one side really points out to be not liked at all. And, of course, we've talked about Charles Barkley and his time with the Suns. Talked about KJ, Kevin Johnson, the future mayor of Sacramento and his time with the Suns. But I think Joe, a player that we need to discuss during those mid-2000 series, was an individual that was very much despised by Lakers fans at that point in time. And that is none other than a podcast host, I believe, right now. And that is Raja Bell, a guy who, you know, put aside, you know, our disdain and dislike for him for a second. He did work very hard to get into league, trying to see what he could do with his particular set of skills, mainly on the defensive end. But being a pest, being annoying being one of the many people who tried to become those quote-unquote Kobe stoppers over the years, which you and I both know ultimately proved to be ineffective for a long period of time. Maybe a game here, maybe a quarter there, but for the most part, there's no way really you could stop Kobe for any length of time. 
I'm going to ask right now, my friend, your thoughts on Raja at that time, Raja Bell, as far as being an annoyance, being someone who is an irritant, being someone who just plain, you really didn't want to like, and, uh, and probably someone that of all the individuals that have played in this Lakers-Suns rivalry probably is the most hated of any of the individuals. The, the reason why he was hated was because he he clotheslined Kobe. Yep. Uh, the most ir- ir- irritating player Kobe faced in, in terms of the Kobe stopper monikers is Bruce Bowen. I'll get to that in a second. I'll talk about Rajah Bell. Rajah Bell couldn't guard Kobe. And Kobe used to drive him nuts, which eventually ended up creating a problem for him because he couldn't guard him anymore. And he retaliated, and Kobe would smack him around, like literally smack him around, making him use basketball moves to kind of hide the smack. So he finally got tired of it and and and, and did what he did. And uh, not a lot of people know this, but uh, Rasha Bell got death threats after that clothesline, and uh, a lot of people were saying it was uh, people attached to the. LA gangs. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I, I I would tend to say if I had to believe one or the other, I'd believe it because Kobe has said many times that he, he could not walk the streets of LA. Kobe Bryant is the most popular human being ever in LA. And that is a crazy, absolute crazy thing to say. For a place like LA that's had stars for the last hundred years, <laughs> people go wacko for that guy. I cannot explain how whack, whacked out people are for Kobe Bryant. We loved Shaq. We loved Magic. We loved Kareem, Worthy. We loved all those guys. We loved the Carusos. We loved the Reeves. We, you know, all the secondary guys even. But Kobe had a different pulse on the city of LA. He merged every ounce of that city. And Rajah Bell, the tough part about that is he, he, he got two wins against Kobe, even though he's not a star. So it just it sucks that he had to get those two wins. But as those far were as... the years, by the way, that we mentioned in the middle of the 2000s when the Lakers were really not a good team. Right. Yeah. And, and it's... I, I really, I, he irritated me. He bothered me just because it was in the heat of the moment. But I really never thought about Rajah Bell beyond that. I, I just, he was a good defensive player that they put somebody on Kobe. He still dropped 50 on him. Didn't really matter what it was. You know, it didn't matter if it was Shane, Battier, Bruce Bowen, uh, Ruben Sean Patterson. Marion. Ruben uh, Patterson, the Kobe stopper. Uh, that was where all that stuff started, right? And then you had, uh, and, and you know, I think Kobe had mentioned that his 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 number one guy was uh, what's his name Tony um, Tony Allen. Tony, Tony Allen. Allen. I don't necessarily believe Kobe there. I I never saw Tony Allen do anything to Kobe during his years. If anyone ever stopped Kobe in my Kobe viewer time, it was Tayshawn Prince in two thousand four. That was the only player and the only time I ever saw. Now, he had help. I'm not saying he didn't have help. But his length and his ability to make it difficult really screwed up that team. Well, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe has said, Joe has said um, previously that sometimes when you, when you hit somebody with the truth, you 
you hit that nerve. You hit that nerve. Roger Bell hit Kobe's nerve. I, I remember I remember Roger Bell called him a pompous, arrogant cretin. I remember the, those exact words. A pompous, arrogant cretin. And the very next day, Kobe's like, I don't know who this kid is. I don't know what he's stuck. And meanwhile, Roger Bell is two years older than Kobe, which was which was kind of funny. But it, it just goes into the just the psychological games that happen. I mean, also during during that that series, when Phoenix won, but then they lost to the Spurs. Kobe and Steve Nash were at a Nike photo shoot together. And Nash talks about this story once in a while um, when he's uh, having fond memories of Kobe. And uh, there was a break. And so they went to, uh, I guess, the uh, the snack table. And Kobe turns to Nash and says, how do you get your teammates to trust you? And Nash said that was pretty profound because in one respect, Kobe was kind of differentiating the Nash to how he he was saying Nash is probably the the better leader of the two of us right now. But I'm telling you that I think you have better teammates than I do, and that's the only reason why you won. So what? it was always it's always Jedi mind tricks with Kobe and Phoenix. It always was Jedi mind tricks. It it didn't matter whether it was Steve Nash, Raja Bell, Let's be honest, Gerald. Uh, if we had uh, if we had uh, the kind of audio back then that we do now, we would hear all kinds of of smack talk between Kobe and Mike D'Antoni in Italian, because they would go back and forth in other languages. Kobe could do that with uh, with Phoenix, whether it was Mike D'Antoni, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Leandro Barbosa was on those teams. You know, he could. Kobe could speak. Uh, Kobe could speak like eight or nine languages at the at, before he passed away. But you know, he could speak Portuguese. He could speak like he would talk in any language. And you know, that particular time in history is very important for the Lakers because it also illustrated the fact that you have no bigs around Kobe, like Joe was illustrating Kwame Brown, Chris Mim. Come on, you know, it It basically kicked them in the rear end to figure out that, yeah, we need to put a big man beside Kobe. And I often think, Gerald, that that precipitated them um, honing in on uh, a power forward. And obviously, you know, if, if they don't get their, their asses kicked in those two series, I'm not sure if they, they have the urgency to acquire a pow. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Once again, it is the Lakers Fast Break. Welcome to Lakers Fast Break University. As we touch on extra credit today, 
Lakers and Suns in a great rivalry that is often unheralded but somewhat underappreciated as well, but truly a part of what the Lakers history is all about. Joe, I want to hit you up with this before we get into the 2021 series, which is ultimately where we'll leave off the Lakers-Suns rivalry until tomorrow, of course. I want to talk about the final stepping stone for the 2009-2010 team, which, as you guys mentioned over the course of the past few moments and, and a little bit of time here, about the teams with the six seconds or less for Mike D'Antoni, with the Nashes, with the Stoudemars, with the Grant Hills, with even early Goran Dragic and Robin Lopez, who are still trying to make their way in the league at this point in time. They were on that team as well in 2009 and 2010. You had Channing Fry, also as well, you had Leandro Barbosa. It's a very good role players who were actually a lot of them on championship teams later on themselves. Even Jared Dudley, the, the goat, fifteenth man goat for yes. Tom. Yes, for Laker Tom. God bless him. The according to him, the best fifteenth man of all time. You've got so many players. Amari Stoudemire that was still in the mix at that point in time. He was still they, an all star. Yep, they had a strong fifty-plus win season as they headed to a matchup against the Lakers. The Lakers were destined to go ahead and win a back-to-back championship, but they had to overcome a tough six seconds or less Phoenix mm. team in order to do so. It was a nice prep for the for the finals. I never thought in a million years that the Lakers would lose to Phoenix, but I did get a little bit worried after they tied it up when they were up 2-0. But I never felt, I just never felt... I just never felt the worry in the Phoenix series, even if they were kind of neck and neck in game five, I just felt like they were going to win the game. And game six kind of confirmed that, that that there was a game that was about to happen where Kobe's going to just say, I'm going to close this son of a gun. And, you know, we saw it against Denver in 09. We saw it in Phoenix in 2010. It catapulted the Lakers and the Lakers seemed to always do well in the Western Conference Finals with Kobe. I just never worried in that in that in that round. <laughs> uh, the only time Kobe lost in the Western Conference Finals, I believe, was in 1998. It was a good prep. I know we were going to play some Bulldogs in, in 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 the finals. It's the only time really in my life where I was almost watching. I mean, I've wanted the Celtics to win before. I wanted them to win in 2020 because I wanted the Lakers to beat them in the finals. But this 2010 uh, year, oh my God, I was cheering for the Celtics every game. I was watching every game and I desperately wanted them in the finals. Everyone thought I was nuts. They're like, Joe, no, no, no. We don't cheer for the Celtics. I'm like, "Mm -mm 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 mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I go, nope, we got to get revenge for 08. I want the Celtics in the finals. I want Kobe to win finals MVP. And I want Kobe to get number five beating the Celtics. I said, he has not beaten the Celtics. That is the cherry on the top. Everyone is concerned about the Jordan thing. I'm like, F Jordan. I don't give a crap about Michael Jordan. I care about Lakers, Celtics. And I care about the Lakers beating the Celtics in the finals. And that Phoenix Suns team helped them play through that final what three weeks and and get the title it was sad though i did feel bad a little bit after that series because there was a video of 
Steve Nash visibly crying, and I, I had never seen Steve Nash show that kind of emotion. I think he knew it was over. I think that he knew that that was his chance to, to, to go to the finals, and he missed out. Uh, although I don't think he, it would have went well for them in, in the finals. There's only really two teams that would have won the title that year, the Celtics or the Lakers, and the, Celt- and the Lakers ended up, you know, getting that one. But it was, it was a good, it was a, an interesting rivalry, a very uh, non-talked-about rivalry where over the last 20 years, they, they're each two and two. That particular Phoenix team was was a little scary. They could put a little scare into you because they could they could launch from three. I think as a team, uh, I think they're one of maybe a, them and Golden State, and I think maybe one other team who averaged 40% or better from three for the whole year, and that team did. Um, so it was a team full of sharpshooters. But like Joe was saying, didn't didn't really put the fear of God into you. Just they they had a few defenders. You know they had quality NBA players. That was a good team. Steve Kerr put together a good team. But it was that like Joe said, it's kind of the end of the era because he probably Steve Nash probably knew that Amari Stoudemire was out the door, and it turned out he was. Because that was the the last year he ever played for, for Phoenix, uh, he was the Knicks' big signing in the summer. The Knicks are back, is uh, what his quote was. Kerr went back to TNT, Gerald, for uh, a brief stint before we all know what uh, history unfolded after after he chose not to explore his options in New York and decided to uh, be a Golden State Warriors head coach instead. So it was an end of an era for them, and, and they had to rebuild. And, you know, we saw what happened in 2021. We were up 2-1. Injuries happened. I know you I know you think that if AD and LeBron were fully healthy that we we would have beaten them. You've said that before, Gerald. Do you still well, stand again, by that's it? Something, that's something I'm going to go ahead and touch on now. Uh, and it's not – but, for, you know, getting back with just a couple seconds left before we touch on that. Uh, that team that the Lakers beat in 2010 uh, really signified, like you said, the end of the six seconds or less era. And the Lakers just finished that all off. Yeah, they did. They did. It was it was pretty much a case of just chop suey. That's basically what they that they they turned the six seconds or less into after that series because they weren't the same. You know, Goran Dragic was still young. It was his team now. Uh, I think Steve kind of understood that, and that probably goes into, again, what Joe was saying about him being so emotional at the end of the series. Grant Hill was on his last legs. That was probably Alvin Gentry's last chance to to uh, pop as a head coach and, and make an NBA final. So a lot of legacies on the, on the line in that series. Once again, it is the Lakers Fast Break. It is Lakers Fast Break University. We do have just a little over 12 minutes left. Joe, the last thing I want to touch on is, of course, the 2021 series was a injured Lakers team for most of the season, as we know, coming off the world championship. And everybody was still thinking that, you know what, we've got LeBron, we've got AD, we're still going to do this, even though we're coming in as an eight seed and they're the number one seed. I still want to go ahead and say that for the record that even you, you know, you could even hear me on these shows 
that Sean and I were on at that time that, uh, you know, two games to one were leading and we were only down like two or three points. I believe at the time that AD in the second quarter, late in the second quarter, mm-hmm. hurt himself and pretty much cost the Lakers from there. But you could feel, you could feel the whole shift of the series changing in that one moment. But up until that time, it looked like the momentum was all on the side of the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, the Lakers, I have no doubt Lakers win that series and go on and win a championship uh, if the crew is entirely healthy. That was a it's – a, it's an underrated championship team, and it's overrated by the public in a lot of ways because of the fact that it was uh, – the championship was won in a central location during a pandemic. But we've talked about how I think – that setup was either equal or worse in terms of the mental focus. Um, it's a bummer in a, in a couple in a couple ways. Number one, you you are watching AD at its at its height and how valuable he is and how valuable he was the team. We were seeing that those two games and how valuable he was and how much of a star he was. And then the second thing is we had a lost opportunity to win a second championship with this team. Cause I, I, I have a really good feeling that had we won in 2021 and back and, and went back to back the, the current situation right now wouldn't be as bad because we got LeBron, then we got AD and we got AD in right before his prime started. A lot of the excitement in that deal was that man, if LeBron can play three, four more years, we can win a couple titles here. Guess what? LeBron can go retire, and now we can build around AD. Right when he's hitting like 29-30, where most bigs are really in their prime. You got them there for at least three, four years. And that's been the kind of the bummer of this whole thing is, is it's it was really that series. And it just seems always like the Suns are the – Freaking, you know, that's been the recent issue with 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 the team that we're playing, where it just seems like everything goes wrong with with the Suns. We blow a three one lead, we blow a two zero lead, we blow a two one lead. A lot of these aren't our fault, but it's still like they 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 seem to have that magical luck against us, and that was what that was, and it was a lost opportunity because. A lot of times you don't get that opportunity and they blamed it on it. They started the season too much and all that, but my, you know, you can't have both guys. I mean, you had six months off between two, between the 20 season. It's not like you guys were playing straight up and you didn't travel any. So I'm not going to sit here and buy that. Like you can't sit there and say it was a hard championship and then say, Oh, by the way, we, 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 we started too soon. I'm like, no, you didn't. You had six months off between the seasons. You didn't play, couldn't play. So I'm not going to use that as an excuse. It's just obviously AD did not make it through that year for whatever reasons. And it started in Phoenix and this downward spiral hasn't gone away. Hasn't gone away because I remember that season. There was, there was issues that season that were very consistent. Uh, it's it's like they keep switching the droughts, right? I remember that year, the drought. They had every game 
they had a three to five minute drought where they couldn't score. Imagine that five minutes where they didn't score and it was going on every game. It's some part of the game. They wouldn't score. And then of course we saw what happened in the offseason. They overcorrected. And then all of a sudden the other side couldn't <laughs> do anything. So um, I don't know how this is going to end officially here, but you want to know why I I'm pretty dead set on this loss tomorrow because it's always been Phoenix. That's been the loss that ends it. That's why that's, that's what's I've seen. They're the beginning of the end. And tomorrow, if they get smoked, it's over because they're not winning on Friday either. They are going to get smoked. If they get smoked tomorrow, it's over. Get ready for make it to the play-in or, or not. It's irrelevant. They're going to get – they're not going to go anywhere at that point. And you can bring back LeBron two, three games beforehand. Not going to matter. So that's what I got. That's, that's where I stand. And, uh, of course, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm rare, I rarely am. Professor Sean, before we head on out, we've got just about five minutes left. I mean, your thoughts on the 2021 series – Obviously, they could look at the archives of the Lakers' fast break for our coverage during that game and those series of the games that had happened. Obviously, it was very heart-wrenching for us, a team where they should have won that series if the Anthony Davis had stayed upright. I disagree with BDA. He said the Lakers got outplayed. I disagree with on that wholeheartedly because I don't think he remembers the fact that the Lakers were leading two games to one mm-hmm. with a home game that they were playing. And again, they were only just slightly behind in the second quarter. So I think he forgets that and neglects to remember that. But you know what? That's his thoughts on that. But your thoughts on, like I said, with five minutes left, your thoughts on the 2021 team and tomorrow night's game. Yeah, you know, Joe, we can't play revisionist history in this show. That's not what we do. We keep it real here. After watching Phoenix for the past, you know, 36 months I've, I've kind of come around to your line of thinking Gerald I, I really do think now that if they had stayed healthy that they would have beaten Phoenix in that series I have no doubt that they would have beaten Phoenix in that series yeah, they had Phoenix. all the momentum going their way you remember that game before every Lakers were clowning around they were having a good time everybody was so happy you know LeBron was making the moves and AD was really yeah everybody was really having a great time and then it all came crashing down with AD in that second yeah it it felt like the bottom just fell out and that was it and Joe hit a salient point there yeah it just seems like for whatever reason Phoenix is our kiss of death it's it's just pucker up like yeah like Joe was saying if you get waxed by him so, what, so let me ask you this for tomorrow. What are you expecting? Because Joe is expecting a loss. You said on our Sunday show and Monday show that you were expecting something different. Your thoughts on uh, one last time before we head on out. Yeah, I, against my head, I'm I'm going to go with my gut. My gut tells me that they're not going to punk out tomorrow. And it could happen. I'll have a crow to eat tomorrow if that's the case. Uh, I do think that it'll be a spirited game. I really do. And again, if they do win, you get to see me chug six beers. So I, I think it's a win-win for everybody. It's a it's a win for the Lakers, and fans can enjoy ourselves. And then you can can watch me 
chug about six Budweiser's tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> Let's hope that's the case, and you will, Professor. And and, and 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 Gerald, I love Steve Austin, but I'm not gonna punk out like Steve and crack him, and you lose about half your beer. We're going for the gusto tomorrow, uh, Gerald. All right, absolutely. Here, Sean. Uh, hopefully get uh, intoxicated with a six pack on hand. But once again, it is Lakers fast break university. We truly appreciate every student that's out there in the class getting some extra credit. Let's hope that this will get, uh, you know, to go a long way for you to go ahead and get a good grade for your semester. And obviously for graduation coming up in June right here at Lakers fast break university. That's something absolutely what we're looking forward to is, the graduation ceremonies, which you've already discussed and are planning now. It's in the planning details. So we truly appreciate it again. Once everybody gets a chance to go ahead and check out this show, please go ahead and send your thoughts either down below in the comments, Lakers fast break on social media, or your thoughts on the Lakers Phoenix rivalry. Please go ahead and you can always let us know. And we've had some great comments lately on email, Lakers fast break at yahoo.com. But of course we've got tomorrow tomorrow magic man and nick and hopefully stone as well and joe and then myself i know i'm going to be there for the second half that's going to be on playback.tv slash lakers fast break for the game against phoenix a very pivotal game for the lakers got to hear your thoughts everyone some of you in the chat have already been very positive and thinking that the lakers are going to do it tomorrow so we'll see we don't know the status of deandre ayton as of yet we know devin booker is going to be there Chris Paul, how effective can he be? We'll find out. But yes, it will be a very interesting game. And I, I agree with Joe. If uh, they don't end this week on a good note with two wins, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to go ahead and may even make the play in because all the teams around them right now, for the most part, outside of, I think, a Dallas loss, and we'll see what happens with the Clippers and Oklahoma City Thunder. Outside of that, I think it's been not too good since the Lakers' victory against Orlando as far as everybody winning. So that does not bode well. New Orleans won earlier tonight. So the Lakers right now, as we speak at the end of class, they are still in 11th place because they are tied now with New Orleans, which always amuses Joe and I. But for Sean, the magic man, Grice, you got to go ahead and check them out at Magic Man in the morning, every Friday morning, 7.30 a.m. Pacific, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, right there for you. A new show is coming up for you. And I just also want to mention as well, some of our shows are now part of YouTube Podcasts. So I wanted to go ahead and mention if you're into YouTube Podcasts, which is a brand new feature, we are going ahead and putting some of our shows on that platform. So go ahead and check it out today. But for Professor Joe Soro, Professor Magic Man, Sean Grice, this is the Dean of Lakers Fast Break University, Gerald Glassford. I want to thank you so much for watching and listening. We will be here tomorrow. Will we be happy or will we be mad? We'll find out tomorrow after the Phoenix game on the best Lakers post game and the best Lakers chat room that's out there. It is the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. And for now, class is dismissed.